So good. Thanks, Lizzie. So good to see everyone here this morning. You're good. You're much better looking than I remember, uh, which is really nice because, you know, if it's the other way around, it's like, oh, jeebus. Sharon's beard is magnificent, I have to say, magnificent. I was taken aback. It seems like actually in lockdown, a whole bunch of people have grown some fuzz, which is we're concerning, but it's awesome, and it's great to see everyone again this morning. Pentecost Sunday, what a great day for us to be celebrating uh, what Jesus has done for us. And, you know, I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Uh, and I say it again, rejoice. You know, we're at week three of our series, Letters from Lockdown. And I'm going to talk today about unconventional joy. Now, I don't know if you've ever met a person who, it doesn't matter what's going on in their world, they are always absolutely fantastic. It's like, it's like they just cannot be discouraged. doesn't matter how bad things go. doesn't matter what the circumstances are in their life. They are just so excited to be alive. I mean, they're not half glass empty or half glass full people. They're just so stoked they've got a glass. It doesn't matter whether it's full or empty. Uh, Roger Carnahan's a guy, a guy like that. I mean, Roger Carnahan is one of our elders. I love Roger. He is always delighted just always delighted, and I just love being around him. You know, many years ago, I knew another guy like that, quite a different person from Rog. But this guy was kind of, when I knew him, he was in his 50s. He uh, had some intellectual issues, had some mental health issues, had some uh, mobility issues, uh, lived alone in a state house. He um, was a guy who had gotten married at one point and had a son, and but then it all kind of ended badly and his wife left him and his son left him. And uh, yet he was a guy that no matter when you saw him, he was always delighted with life. Uh, I remember sometimes in a service, uh, he, would, um, he would run out of coffee. So he would always come sit on the front row, have himself a coffee, and sometimes his coffee would run out before the worship ran out. And I remember this one particular time, I was down in the back talking to the sound guys about some sound issue. Everyone's worshiping God. And this guy, he, uh, he started wandering back down the center aisle of church with his empty coffee cup, obviously going to get a refill. And, you know, everyone's just lost in worship, hands raised, eyes closed. And, and I, I happened to turn and watch him as he came down. And in this funny little way, as he came down, every person he went past, he poked them in the stomach. People hate that stuff, right? People hate that. Like they're lost in worship and now someone pokes him in the stomach. He thought it was hilarious. Like there was just no way you could get this guy down. I remember when I'd been up here and we'd shifted up here and uh, from Dunedin to Auckland. We'd been in Auckland for about six months and I get a phone call from him out of the blue. Now, a few months earlier, he'd been given a mobility scooter, which he was wrapped about because it gave him so much more access to things. So he rang me, and he asked me if I had any access to any corrugated iron and any 4 by 2 bits of you know, building timber. And I asked him why. And he said, matter-of-factly, that he wanted to build a roof on his mobility scooter to keep the rain off. And I'm like, uh... You know, I've shifted to Auckland. I'm like, we're in Auckland. He said, yeah. yeah. Can you bring it down this week? Like, like it just wasn't a problem. There was no problem. He, he couldn't say that there was a problem with the fact that I lived in Auckland. He lived in Dunedin. He wanted me to bring that down. I've often wondered how that would have gone at the airport, you know. Anything, uh, anything in your hand luggage there, sir? Nothing except for some, some uh, roofing iron and some timber. And what's that for, sir? Well, I'm helping a friend build a roof on his mobility scooter. 
Not a problem, sir. Would you like a hand putting that in the overhead locker or would you like to put it in the seat in front of you? I mean, it's just ridiculous, right? And, uh, and yet this guy was just one of those guys. This is what struck me most about this guy, that I had never met anyone who had such joy despite having so many reasons not to have it. You know, he had a joy that didn't come from his circumstances. And that's exactly what we find in the book of Philippians with Paul. He had a joy that didn't come from his circumstances. Come on, let's dive into it. I want to read to you from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 to 6. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with all the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, Paul, along with Timothy, writing a letter to this church in a place called Philippi. Paul and Silas and Timothy had planted this church on Paul's second missionary journey as he's traveled from Judea, kind of heading up northwest, up through Syria, through what's now Turkey, into what is now Greece, then Macedonia. Macedonia was a Roman, a Roman region under Roman law, spoke Latin, uh, and Philippi was the first city they came to as they entered Macedonia. And, and here we see a great picture of church planting 101. You know, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy, they arrive in the area, they end up meeting this woman, a businesswoman, they share the gospel with her, she gets saved, she gets baptized, your whole family gets saved, she insists they come back and, and they can have accommodation back at her house, and her house literally becomes the very first church, the house church in Philippi. And then a few days later, Paul is out checking out the sites, checking out Philippi, getting a feel for it. Uh, when a demon-possessed, fortune-telling slave girl starts following him around. That's got to be a little freaky, right? It's got to be a little unusual. He's, he's just out there checking the city out, getting a feel for what God wants, and there's this deeply disturbed person behind him yelling out, you know, these guys are from God, they can tell you how to be saved. And, and after a couple of days, he just had enough. He turned around, decided she needed to be set free, cast the demon out of her. Uh, which kind of would have seemed like a great thing to do, except that the guys who owned her because she was a slave now saw her fortune-telling abilities disappear. So they started a huge riot. Uh, these guys get taken in, uh, beaten black and blue, put in prison without a trial. Around midnight, God intervenes, massive earthquake, the whole jail is shaken, all, everything, all the chains pop open, the jailer gets radically saved, his whole family gets radically saved, no doubt he joined uh, Lydia and became part of the Philippi church. Uh, then the next day there's this kind of showdown with the local police and the magistrates, and essentially they get kicked out of the city. You can read about it in Acts chapter 16 verses 12 to 40, it's, it's a pretty amazing story. So that's what happened to get this great young church in Philippi planted. Now we fast forward a few years. It's been a while since Paul saw them. Uh, Paul's been writing letters, and it, I mean, he really loves this young church. In fact, the letter to the Philippians is an interesting letter because it's the only letter Paul writes where he doesn't, try, he doesn't have to address some major issue that's going on in the church. He notes that there's a little bit of disagreement and he encourages them to sort it out. But essentially, this is a great church, just great unity. They love Jesus and Paul is so delighted at this 
at this church. Now, Paul is writing this letter from prison in Rome. Uh, It's his first time he's in prison at Rome. Uh, He's been there for about two years, and most of that time he's been essentially under house arrest. He's had his own kind of room, his own space. People could come and visit him. He couldn't leave, um, but that's where he was. But recently there's been some kind of political maneuverings uh, amongst the top echelon of leadership under the Emperor Nero, and they've really tightened a whole bunch of things up. Paul has been shifted now. He's now in chains um, in the Praetorium Guard, which is the, the particular bodyguards of Nero and the, the top leadership uh, in the Roman rule there. And he is now literally about a block from where Nero lives. Now, we need to talk about Nero just for a moment because we need to get a sense of Paul's circumstances. Nero was a scary, scary guy. He is like the Hitler of the day. Even most Roman sources overwhelmingly paint a negative picture of Nero as entirely corrupt, completely excessive. Uh, This guy, uh, historians believe, started the Great Fire of Rome, which happened uh, just shortly actually after Paul was released, in about 64 AD. And Tacitus, the famous Roman historian, he suggests that what happened was actually that Nero left Rome, ordered one of his underlings to set fire to the city because he wanted to build this huge palatial complex. The fire just ripped through Rome, ended up destroying two-thirds of the city. Nero came back, immediately started building his massive expansion, and the palace in, in Rome of Nero ended up covering almost a third of the city. What Nero then did was he then blamed the fire on the local Christian communities. So then what happened was an, a, a huge persecution against the Christians in Rome broke out at that point. Now you may have seen movies or film footage of the persecutions of the Jews in the Second World War in Nazi Germany. Jewish homes and businesses tagged, windows smashed, uh, businesses boycotted, Jewish people targeted, fired from their jobs, even dragged into the streets and beaten up in front of the crowds. Before the Jews were targeted, rounded up, and taken away for mass torture and murder. Now this is exactly what happened with the Christians in Rome under this persecution. They were put in huge open theaters after they'd been rounded up where lions would be released that would literally maul them to death as entertainment for the crowds. Nero was particularly brutal, and at least on one occasion, Tacitus records, he had Christians taken, bound to stakes that were then put in his garden. They were covered in tar and set alight to burn as lights for his garden parties. Tacitus notes that what was most horrific about Nero was that he was motivated not by public justice, but by personal cruelty. And now Paul is imprisoned just a stone's throw from where this guy is. And and what about Paul? What's he doing? Is he terrified? Is he depressed? This is the astonishing thing, right? Quite the opposite. Paul is literally bubbling over with joy, and it just comes out again and again in his letters. And so we learn some really important things about joy, people. The first one is this. Joy doesn't come from your circumstances. Now, let me review Paul's circumstances so we can see this. He's in prison. He's under Nero. 
the greatest tyrant and prolific killer of Christians of his day. Now, now if I was in prison and I was writing letters, my letters would be all like, get me out of here. Like, just get me out of here. Bribe whoever you've got to bribe. Do whatever you want. Pray, just get me out of here. But that is not what we see Paul doing. And in Paul's situation, in this imprisoned and praetorian guard really close, what happens instead is we don't get these pleas for help from Paul. His perspective is completely different. His perspective is not the overwhelming threat of Nero. When you read his letters, his perspective is the astonishing power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to transform a life and the kingdom of God and the church that is expanding and cannot be touched. Look, let me take you on a, a quick tour through the whole book of Philippians and some of the things he says. In chapter 1, verse 4, he prays for the Philippians with joy. In verse 18, he rejoices that the gospel of Jesus Christ is preached regardless of what people's motives are. In verse 19, he rejoices because he knows that because of their prayers and the presence of the Holy Spirit with him, that he knows Jesus has sent, he's convinced that his sufferings will be ending in breakthrough and release. In verse 25, he says he's committed to seeing the Philippians progress and their progress in joy. In chapter 2, verse 2, he says his joy is made complete in seeing their unity and seeing them become more and more like Jesus. In verses 17 and 18, he says, actually, even if I am to die, he sees that their growth as God's kids is totally something worth dying for. He rejoices in that and encourages them to rejoice as well. In verse 29 of chapter 2, he says, I'm sending Epaphroditus back, who was kind of one of their congregation members who they sent to look after Paul. And he says, hey, welcome this guy with great joy. In chapter 4, verse 1, he says that this church is his crown and joy. He tells them to rejoice in the Lord. He says it twice, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says that he has so much joy when they reached out to help him in the ways that they did in verse 10 of chapter 4. All this while in prison under the most frightening monster in a generation. The lesson, joy doesn't come from the quality of your circumstances. Joy comes from the clarity of your perspective. And Paul truly had a different perspective. The second thing we learn about joy is that joy doesn't come from your performance. Paul's not in there going, it's okay, I'm doing great, I'm being a great evangelist. I'm doing all the right things in here. In fact, he says quite the opposite. He says that my qualifications, all of my achievements, all of this, it counts for nothing. Let me read this to you. He says, if someone else thinks they've got reasons to put confidence in their flesh, in their performance, he says, I have more, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless, he says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Let me tell you. You won't find joy in your degrees. You won't find joy in your pay rises. You won't find joy in your social circles. There is something else that brings us joy. You know, the third lesson we learn about joy is this, is that joy doesn't come from your success. It doesn't come from your circumstances. It doesn't come from your performance. And it doesn't come from your success. Paul goes on, he says, whatever were gains to me are now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more? I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth 
of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom sake I've lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul has an experience of joy that has almost nothing to do with him. It's nothing to do with the circumstances. It's nothing to do with how well he's doing. It's nothing to do with his success. So, what is this thing called joy that we all want and are meant to have? Joy is something that was a hallmark of Jesus' life. In Strong's Concordance, it defines joy as a calm delight. I love that. A calm delight. In the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, it notes that joy is both exemplified in the life and character and set forth in the teachings of Jesus. There are many intimations that in spite of the profound elements of grief and tragedy in Jesus' life, his habitual demeanor, like the way he was every day, was glad and joyful. And we see this. We see Jesus described himself as a bridegroom. Have you ever seen a sad bridegroom? Bridegrooms are stoked. They are delighted. This is the day they have been looking forward to. We read that Jesus came eating and drinking. He came socializing with people in such a way that his enemies tried to use that as a primary way of discrediting him, saying he was a glutton and a drunk. Jesus, it says, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit. He attended weddings. He attended feasts with his disciples. He lived life and he had a joy that came out of him and everything that he did. And see, joy is not just a hallmark of Jesus. Joy is a hallmark of the Holy Spirit, right? In Paul's letter to the Romans, he states this, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Joy comes from the Holy Spirit, right? It is a fruit of the Holy Spirit, which means it's the result of having the Holy Spirit in your life. It's something that comes out of that. It's one of those things that comes out of you as a result of having the Holy Ghost in you. Why? Because see, God's intent is for you to have what he has. His character becomes your character. His perspective becomes your perspective. His experience becomes your experience. What God has, he wants you to have. You know, you know many years ago, I, um, I was uh, an intern, I was studying, and I, was, uh, I needed a job over the Christmas holidays, and I couldn't get a job. So I had a mate who was a commercial window cleaner. I got him to show me how to clean windows. And then I went door knocking, door to door, uh, and just offering to clean people's windows. And on this one particular job I had, uh, it was a single story dwelling and I was cleaning just the outsides of the windows. And you know, as much as you try when you're cleaning someone's windows, you can't help but look inside. I mean, you try not to, you don't want to be that stalker guy, but sometimes you can't help, help looking inside, right? So I'm cleaning the, this, this older couple's windows and I, so I remember this so well because I remember watching them. And I remember saying to myself, I don't think I've ever seen a sadder couple than this couple. Like they just, they looked sad. They moved sad. There was just something about them. Like I, I wondered, have they been through a tragedy? Or like what is, what is going on with these, these, this couple? It just particularly struck me. I could take you to the exact place I was standing when I thought this. Anyway, I finished the job and I went down to the door to receive my payment and they gave me the cash for the job and they slipped a tract in as well. And they said to me, they said, we just want you to know, we're Christians, we go to this church, I'm not going to tell you which church it was, we go to this church, 
And if you read this tract, you can have what we have. I, I ran down the street. Like, there was, I, there was nothing that you have that I want. You know, I was like, man, that was a terrible advertisement, right, for, for the gospel. Like, a Christian who is like just, who, a Christian who is just bitter, who's angry, who's judgmental, who has no joy in their life. I, I'm just not sure how good an advertisement that is for the life of Christ that is available to us. Like, I'm convinced actually that we could just radically improve all of our evangelism right across the church if we could just rediscover joy again. Amen? So, the question then is, how do we have this joy? This joy that Jesus lived, that the Holy Spirit has, and that Paul knew so well. Well, I believe it's simple. I believe we just need a heavenly perspective. We just need a heavenly perspective. You know, too often, we get our, we get our perspective from our circumstances, right? When things aren't going great, we think that we are not going great. When things are going bad, we think that we are going bad. The problem sometimes is we get so deep in our rut that all we can see are walls. And sometimes we've got to get out of our ruts and get an entirely different perspective because what we end up doing is we end up interpreting circumstances through a certain lens that makes our life look a certain way and then our emotions respond accordingly. Paul had a higher perspective. Paul had a heavenly perspective perspective. And, and I want to show you this. I want to go through some of Paul's circumstances and show you from Scripture that his, his perspective on what was going on was totally different, right? I mean, like Paul's in prison, right? Like his whole missionary journey thing has come to a screaming halt. And yet Paul's perspective is different. He's like, man, I've been positioned in prison and God is using this. God is using this to get the gospel to all of these guards, like he totally sees that he's been, been positioned there and actually this is still part of his mission. He goes on actually and says, in fact, fearful Christians are now becoming more bold as a result of seeing that prison can't stop the mission. Paul is, is in prison and, and he could die. And what's Paul's perspective on that? I mean, he mentions that, you know, I could die here. And if I do, awesome, I go to be with Jesus. And that is way better than being down here but he also acknowledges that he might not die. Awesome! I can keep on doing what I'm doing. I've got fruitful labor, he says. This is fantastic. And, and we can look at Paul and we can go, he's stuck in that place, in that horrible place. But what's Paul's perspective? He's like, I'm not stuck. Are you serious? No, he says, Jesus Christ took hold of me for something and I'm going to press on and I'm going to take hold of that as well. I'm going to forget what is behind. I'm straining forward for what is ahead. You see a prison, I see God's purpose. You see a prisoner, I see a prize. Paul had a completely different perspective on what he was on those circumstances than I think many of us would if we were in that situation. Paul was like, Paul, Paul was like, yeah, Nero is near, but you know what? God is nearer. Rejoice, and I say it again, rejoice. That is the power of perspective. So the question then is, how does Paul get a higher perspective? And how do we get a higher perspective? Well, I believe. Paul revealed that actually in another letter he wrote from that same prison to the church in Ephesus. This is what he wrote in Ephesians 2 verse 6. He says, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now what does this mean? 
Now, most of us read that, and we assume that that's talking about the future. You know, when we, we all die, and then God's going to resurrect us, and he's going to raise us up. But that's not what Paul's saying. Because Paul is using this in the past tense. He said, no, no, God has already done this. He has already raised us up. We can sit in heavenly places with Jesus Christ. See, what I believe Paul is saying is, is that what God has done through salvation and through the filling of the Holy Spirit is that by the Spirit, through our mind and our sanctified imagination, we can, as it were, we can imagine ourselves and put ourselves in that heavenly place and we can gain God's perspective right now on what is going on down here. And when you do that, you get a bigger perspective. And you can catch a glimpse of God's plan. You can catch, capture a little bit of God's biggest strategy, the things that matter most, the way things truly are, not just the way you think they are based on your circumstances. And when you do that, when you get a heavenly perspective like Paul, you experience joy. And that is what is going on with Paul. Paul's in the midst of circumstances that look terrible. But Paul has seated himself in heavenly places with Christ. He's looking down. He's going, man, God has got this great plan. God's put me right in the middle of the prison. God is reaching all of these guards. God is going to set me free for other things. But it doesn't matter what's going on. God has got a plan. And he is filled with joy as a result. Let me show you what I mean. Just last Sunday, we were watching church, online church. I, I hope you were, I know I was. We're in our lounge. I've got my, I got my TV volume turned up to 90 out of 100. Like it's shaking on the wall as the volume's coming off. Worshipping God because I, I don't want to listen to myself sing. I'm pretty sure my kids don't want to listen to me sing. And so, so the worship's going on and I'm, I'm just doing what I'm jumping up and down. My hands are raised, worshipping God and, uh, and having, a, having a great time. And then this thought came into my head. And the thought was, I bet you're like an idiot. That was the thought that came in my head. And then I thought about my kids, and my kid, I could hear my kids talking on the couch, and there's a bit of me wanted to be, get grumpy with them because they shouldn't be talking, they should be worshipping like me. But, but you know, there was a part of me that started going, maybe they're just embarrassed. Maybe they're looking at me going, oh my gosh, look at him. You know, yeah, jumping up and down. And then I realized the more I thought about this, the more I was actually getting crushed by my circumstances. My, my perspective was becoming that, that this was negative, that I was making a fool of myself. And I realized I needed to get a heavenly perspective. And so I took, I took exactly what Paul said. I just, in my mind, I just imagined myself right up high, like way up in the sky, above, above the clouds, up there with Jesus, looking down on me and in my neighborhood. And you know what I saw? I looked down and I saw not only me just worshiping God, but I, I could, it was like I could see through other people's roofs. I couldn't actually see through other people's roofs. But it was like I could see other people, and other people were still in bed, and some other people were, were, were kind of were having, having problems with one another. Other people were just stuck in a lost, a lost purposeless life, and, and it was like God was just looking down on me and going, yeah, I got one. I got one right there. And it was like, and then there's someone else over there worshiping God this morning, and there's someone else over there worshiping God this morning. And I could just feel Jesus' delight. As he was, you know, like it says in the Old Testament, God's eyes roam the earth looking for those to whom he can bring his strength. And I just felt the sense of that God was looking, there's one I can trust, there's one I can empower, there's one I can do something with. And it was like I totally got this completely different perspective. And honestly, this is what happened. As I'm, 
as I'm worshiping God, but I, I, I was, I, it was like I was looking from way up high, looking down on myself and seeing the delight of God as he was able to pick out those who were loyal and faithful to him. It was literally like a bucket of cold water which just poured on me and joy just coursed through my whole body. It was the most astonishing experience. And all that changed was my perspective. I got a heavenly perspective. I saw what God saw, and I saw his delight and confidence. And, and then it was a funny thing. There's like this extra little bit where I, almost I could look down and see one of my kids just look up. And I don't know if this really happened or not. But it was like I could look up. I could see one of my kids look up at me, you know, jumping up and down like a crazy rabbit. And it was almost like I could see one of my kids go, yeah, he's a bit embarrassing, but he's the real deal. And I just love to think that maybe somewhere down track when my kids need to know what the real deal looks like, that they might in some way, shape or form look at that moment or moments like it and go, I want to be like that. You know, I tell you, if we can just get a heavenly perspective, it changes everything. It changes everything about how you see and interpret your circumstances and what God has for you. Church, it's time for us to have a higher perspective. And and as we just wrap this up now, I'm going to ask you, if you would, just to close your eyes. Just close your eyes. And let me just ask you, what are your circumstances? What are your circumstances? And can you just for a moment allow yourself in your mind to see yourself right up high with Jesus in a heavenly place, looking down on yourself, looking down even now on your surroundings, looking down on the circumstances of your life, can you see the delight with which Jesus is looking down on you? Can you see the purpose that He has in what you are currently going through? Can you sense His calmness, His confidence, His joy in you? Can you feel it, that calm delight in knowing how God sees what you're going through? You know, may you see your obstacles for the opportunities they really are. Opportunities for stepping up, for showing strength, for new solutions. May you see your problems for the possibilities for growth that they hold. And may you see in your circumstances what God is looking for. And may you feel the joy that comes flowing in as you do. Jesus, would you remind us again and again to to get a heavenly perspective on what we're going through, God, and allow that joy to come coursing through us again as we see your plan, your purpose, your strategy in the midst of the terrible sometimes things that we are going through, God, like Paul having such joy and confidence in the plan and purpose of God. God, will you fill us with joy again and again and again and again. Let it be our experience. God, I ask that in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. And amen. I'm going to get Lizzie to come up here as we close. And, uh, and then we're going to sing one more song in just a few moments. Awesome. Awesome. So just before we do our closing song, feel feel free to to stand up. Um, We are just going to um, 
remind you that you can just um, fill in your Connect card. So maybe this morning, um, you know, you actually went, you know what, I actually want to make a commitment to God for the first time. Maybe for you, you've never done that. Um, And we would really love to help you on the journey to do that. So if that's you this morning, you can actually fill out a little section on your Connect card and we will make contact with you and talk to you about that. Um, We've got growth track starting next week. Um, So you can do that. It's going to be online for the next month. um, So you can sign up for that. So we're going to go into our last song. I've got a few notices for you after that. Um, But just I encourage you as we just sing this last time, just consider for yourself that calm delight of joy that God has for every single one of us and that heavenly perspective that he wants us to get. We're going to sing now. Oh, my death left a day beneath the waters And I'm no longer a slave to my sin anymore So God, I fall in the space between What remains of me and this reckoning Either way, I won't bow to the things of this world Cause I know no, I will never be alone There is another in the fire Standing next to me There is another in the waters Holding back the seas Should I ever need reminding Would power set me free There is a grave that holds nobody And that over our relationships, our marriages, our businesses, our careers, God, and our study, Father, our finances, Lord. Father, your perspective. Father, thank you, God, that you strengthen us, Lord, and thank you for that beautiful, Father, perspective, that calm delight of joy that you infuse us with, Lord, as we look to you and look from the perspective that you bring us. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Awesome. Great. So just with regards to the offering this morning, team, we can't um, pass around the buckets this morning. Um, So what you can do is you can do your offering on that Elam app. 
that you'll be familiar with now. Um, or you can get the envelope and you can pop it into the connect box as you leave the auditorium. Or you can go to the info area and do it via FPOS. So we're going to just pray a blessing over that offering now. Lord, we just thank you, Lord God, um, for the tithes, for the offerings, Lord God. We thank you for what you're doing in us and through us. Father, help us to be fruitful, Lord God. Multiply, Father, all of those finances, Father, Lord. And we just thank you for what you're doing in this beautiful city, in this part of Auckland. In Jesus' name, a blessing over every person. Amen. Awesome. So team, we haven't got tea and coffee and cafe today, but we're excited that that will start up at some point. Um, just a couple of other notices. If you'd like prayer, the team are here. So you're welcome to come up straight after the service. We can, we can do prayer. That'll be awesome. You do need to register for next Sunday's service. So get online and get that done. And just want to encourage you too to download that app, even if you haven't done it yet, because the sermon notes are on there. You can give through that, and it's just a really good um, way of doing that. Awesome. Look, um, been a great Sunday. We've loved having you. Um, and it's just so nice for us all to be back together. So have an amazing Sunday and we'll see you.